0: you're listening to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience relationships and where you'll gain the guidance, knowledge, and practical tools to overcome insecurity and build healthy, thriving relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach Stephanie Rig, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. In today's episode, I'm in conversation with Dr. Scott Lyons. Scott is a holistic psychologist, educator, and author of the newly released book, Addicted to Drama, Healing Dependency on Crisis and Chaos in Yourself and Others. Scott's also the creator of the Embody Lab, which is the largest online learning platform for body-based trauma therapies. And as someone who's taken several certifications through the Embody Lab, I'm a huge ambassador of Scott and what he has created, and I'm so excited to share with you, the conversation that I had with Scott today all around addiction to drama and how becoming dependent on chaos, often subconsciously, can really dictate our lives and relationships and how we can break those cycles to create more inner and outer peace in our lives. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you and I hope you enjoy. Scott, hi, thanks so much for joining me.
1: My pleasure, thank you for having me.
0: So today we're talking all about Drama, and Addicted to Drama, which is the name of your new book.
1: It is. I love a good drama. Love talking about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we'd hope so by this point. I'm sure you've done plenty of talking about it. I'm glad that we're having this conversation because I think it will be relevant and will resonate with so many people. Uh, One of the most frequently asked questions that I receive from clients and from people in my Instagram community is like, Why do I attract unavailable people? Why do I attract X? And I'm always quick to gently turn that back and ask, why are you attracted to? What part of me is attracted to whatever person dynamic situation that I keep coming up against in my life? Because that's probably... And a more honest question and certainly a more empowering question than casting ourselves as a very passive character in the story of our lives and throwing our hands up in overwhelm and wondering why these things keep happening to us.
1: So true. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've certainly heard the same thing. It's like, you know, why do bad things always happen to me? Why do bad relationships continue to happen to me? Why do I keep attracting unavailable people or immature people or... And I think, you know, the easiest way to sort of turn it back on yourself, the question uh, is, if it's happened once, interesting information. If it continues to happen, what is the common denominator? It's you, boo. It's you. (laughs) You know? Like, God, you know, God love you. We all love you. And it's you. And you are... (laughs) Part of this situation. You are not a victim to it. You are a participant. And the more you can identify how you are a participant, the more you are empowering yourself to change it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. Because as much as it might feel like a hard thing to hear, and that's what I always say to people, it's so much more permissive and empowering to look at our part because it's ultimately what's within our control, I think. Know, yeah, positioning ourselves as the the one on the receiving end of all of the bad stuff with no active role in it is not actually a very helpful story.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember, like, uh, by the third person I dated who was addicted to meth, I was like, "This is an unusual <laughs> series of events." That I'm like, <laughs> "What are
0: the chances? What uh, are
1: the chances?" You know, this is weird. And and when I when I really was like, okay. Clearly, it's it's not the meth addiction I'm attracted to, but the, the fact that they are in some type of, of you know, avoidance, that they are yeah. filling the void with something else and not really able to be there for themselves, let so alone be there for me. Yeah. And so... Yeah. You know, it's a heart. You know, you, you're so hurt. And you, I was so hurt, excuse me, I, I won't say you. Yeah. I was so hurt. I was so frustrated. I was so disappointed. And I, I couldn't possibly hold that within myself and take responsibility for that. So it's so mm-hmm. easy to be like, oh, another one of you, or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or this is your fault. It's not like, ooh, how was I a participant in my own suffering? again yeah yeah how was i contributing to my own lack of peace and how might mm. that pattern be playing itself out in other parts of my life which yeah. is the question for those of us who are investigating are we addicted to drama
0: yeah so maybe we can take a step back and you can give a bit of a lay of the land of what are you talking about when you say addicted to drama what might that look like what are the signs how does it show up
1: yeah yeah so, we know that, well, we don't necessarily know, but drama is essentially an unnecessary turmoil, an unnecessary mm-hmm. chaos and crisis. Mm-hmm. And it looks like dysregulation. You know, if you're familiar with that word, meaning there's an inefficiency of energy and attention and emotional expression. And thus, because it's so disproportionate. Like if I'm picking mm-hmm. up a pen, with the effort of picking up an elephant that's disproportionate, it's dysregulated. Mm. Mm. And it feels very performative. And so that's why we often think, oh, those who are addicted to drama, like their intensity, their exaggeration is a performance for attention, it's not. Mm. It's underneath a very dysregulated ability to modulate how much energy, emotion, and attention is needed to be in response to the world. Mm. And an addiction is anything that we become dependent on that both Mm. fills a void within us and masks a core pain. Mm. It helps us be avoidant to that pain.
2: Mm.
1: It helps us both create a numbness and Mm. an addiction if it's interesting enough, helps us rise above the threshold of that numbness to feel alive mm-hmm. as well as distracted. Yeah. So we, when we talk about an addiction and drama, it doesn't necessarily make sense because we're saying, wait, why would people be dependent on essentially more suffering? <laughs> like why would anyone want more Mm -hmm. chaos and crisis in their life. And certainly why would their brain reward them for such a thing Mm. as part of any addiction? And the reason is, is, well, stress is empowering. Literally, like the first aspect of, the first stage of a stress response, you get activated. It's a release of all these hormones. You feel powerful, you feel strong in that first stage. And there's an endorphic release. You get a pain relief. Mm. so all of these things when you feel helpless when you feel like a victim in life when you feel like there's no power agency Mm. then you're going to move towards things that give you that and if stress which is readily available (laughs) if you seek or create it or manifest it Mm. gives you exactly that it gives you this boost this charge in your life it's like drinking 10 cups of coffee at any yeah. time of the day or night you want. And it's, again, free. If it gives you that, you're going to become attached to it. So mm. this is this is what we mean by addiction and drama. And it plays itself out as the pattern of like all the ways we might become just avoidant of our own stillness, of our own peace, of our own contact or relationship with ourselves. Mm. So, you know, I don't know, you're walking down a street, nothing going on, and all of a sudden you're thinking of a story about your ex. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And you might even know, like, this isn't going to make me feel better. But then you get on social media and you look them up. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you're adding logs to that fire of drama of unnecessary turmoil. You're sitting in a bathtub or relaxing somewhere on, like, a lawn And all of a sudden you are playing a scenario out about what's going to happen next week at work. And it's the weekend. Why are you contributing to your own suffering? Mm. Why are you rushing down the street when you have nowhere necessarily you have to be? Mm. Why are you playing a song that's really sad when you're already feeling tender? Mm. Yeah. So there's this question we're asking and I think, In our everyday spectrum of experience, why are we contributing to our own pain? Why are we contributing to the intensification of our own emotions? And Mm. what purpose does it serve for you?
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. And I was going to ask exactly that because I think with all of these patterns, we have to go, okay, what am I getting out of this? Like, clearly there's a part of me that's meeting a need. Um, yeah. It's serving some sort of adaptive purpose, or at least it yeah. has an intention to do that.
1: Absolutely, so, all survival it? responses do. Yeah, they're all strategies to navigate something, and and it's unfortunate that, you know, if you've ever been around someone addicted to drama, it's exhausting, it's mm. tiring, it's energy depleting, mm. and it's annoying. Often <laughs> it's boundaryless. It's annoying. And so there's not a lot of space for empathy. And so in the lack of empathy, we typically just like brush them off as needing attention and or they're just some drama queen as opposed to going, Oh, this is their survival adaptive strategies to something else.
2: Mm.
1: Oof. That looks hard and painful. They are con- attributing more pain to themselves to mask other pain. What a mm. terrible addiction to be in.
2: Mm.
1: What an awful yeah. cycle.
0: <laughs> yeah. And is there, I mean, I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about what you've found to be the origin of that, whether there's a common origin story or um, whether, you know, what gives rise to this addiction to drama? When do we become dependent on that as a strategy?
1: Yeah. Well, there is certainly common symptoms, like mm-hmm. those who uh, have an addiction drama often feel isolated alone. they feel like the world is against them as opposed to for them they 'll typically say things like, "Ah, oh, why is it always me?" or "Why is it all there're always something there's a real mm-hmm. negative bias they're unable to really attend to the positives in life mm-hmm. they overgeneralize so mm-hmm. I had a frustrating moment in my day. I had the worst day. So you'll Mm. see exaggerated language, intensified Mm. language, lots of exclamation marks where they perhaps do not belong. You'll see them (laughs) feel like there's a constant sense of urgency. Like there's not enough space and time. They feel rushed. They feel burdened. There's a sense Mm. of dis-ease or anxiety that is pervasive. It creates their baseline tone. Mm. So these are things that are pretty common amongst everyone mm. who has this propensity or addiction to drama. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the origin, there are several sort of major contributors. We could look at transgenerational trauma mm. and trauma as a factor of where that in- initial pain comes from that's mm. being, you know, when we have pain, it gets locked off in our body, it gets sealed off. We call that edema. Essentially, like, it's a way of protecting ourselves from further injury.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: And that edemic response cuts that part of ourself from ourself. And whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, the same thing is happening. So we either disassociate or we cut off parts of ourself that have been hurt. And that trauma stays in the body. Mm. And so... Th- as we get more cut off from ourselves, we exist in a void. We are scattered or we are disconnected from the place where that pain is residing. And that mm. becomes what's called a void. Mm. And I talked earlier about like how addictions form is a, a way of filling the void, literally pouring into the empty vessel of where I should be residing. Mm. Yeah. And you know if you grew up in a household of chaos, oof that that becomes the normal mm. you have to speak at a certain decibel to be heard that becomes the void the you know the decibel to which you speak mm. if to be heard and seen and felt you have to be big and exaggerated mm. or you have to always be ill or sick or something always has to be wrong where that becomes the currency for love then that's what you internalize If you have a parent who's addicted to drama, you have two choices. You either join the fight and rev yourself up with them or you collapse and become very repressed and very closed off as a means of protection. And that repression ends up leading to cathartic explosions anyways, kind of leads us down the same path.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that As you describe that, it's clear that this is big, right? This is kind of culturally pervasive. This doesn't feel like a niche problem. (laughs) Uh, You know, as I'm reflecting, while we kind of entered this conversation talking about relationships, like workplace, this feels big as well. Uh, So many of us, I think, form an identity around how busy we are and how stressed we are at work but almost as a badge of honor Um, and that becomes like oh I've been so busy and that's just like yeah how we greet each other how have you been oh busy but good and that's like Uh, right
1: yeah
2: that's and we
1: can ask like why are you over scheduling yourself yeah why are you actually why is the task at work more complex than they need to be why are you overcomplicating things? Why are mm. you engaging in, at, during work and after work gossip?
2: Yeah. It
1: is throwing logs on a fire of, of drama. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You're participating in it. You're either enabling it, you're participating in it, or you are it. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's in our and relationships become the perfect depository, the, the, the mm. perfect place where yeah. these challenges around drama show up. Because those with an addiction to drama, we we you know, from attachment work, we know that this style, this stance, so to speak, or this behavioral patterns are not just the behavior. They're also demonstrating some challenge with intimacy. Mm. So if you feel isolated all the time, which those with an addiction to drama do, you're already mm. not in relationship to yourself, let alone able to then be in relationship to other people. If mm. you're avoiding yourself through suppression, repression or some disassociation because there's underlying pain, mm. then you are not home to be in relationship. Mm. And vulnerability, you know, intimacy leads to vulnerability. And vulnerability means that I'm gonna come closer into contact with my own self, not just someone else, but my own self. And the emotions and the pains and the joys that all reside here. And if there's like an allergic reaction to that. Mm. And that allergic reaction is a reflex that I call the revving reflex, which is as soon as I get too close to myself or too close to stillness, I'm going to rev myself up. I'm going to find and seek and create all those stress possibilities. I'm going to overschedule myself. I'm going to go gossip. I'm going to go, you know, doom scroll. Mm. Whatever it takes to avoid contact with myself, Mm. which is literally feels dangerous because if I'm attending to myself, if I'm too vulnerable, I will not be available to address the next Possible threat in my life. And I will die. That yeah. is the underlying script. I will die because I will not be available. I will not be vigilant enough mm-hmm. to deal with the next threat because those of us who've had trauma, early developmental, generational, whatever it is, are always on the lookout for the next threat to protect mm-hmm. ourselves because we weren't able to the first time.
0: Yeah. You mentioned attachment and how that can play into it. I'd be curious to know uh, whether and to what extent you notice trends in uh, attachment styles and addiction to drama. Is there overlap there? Is there any kind of themes that emerge?
1: Yeah. I mean, the the main theme around attachment is we know attachment wounds start where there isn't the ability to co-regulate. So meaning if there is not a present caregiver, if there's, and that can be a community too, it doesn't have to be a single entity, but if there's not a present caregiver who is able to be uh, available in themselves to hold space for an infant, because we don't come into this world with the ability to regulate our own emotions and attention and energy
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's modeled and it's modeled through a shared experience. Mm. So it's not like a baby's watching the caregiver and going, oh, I like how they process that emotion. (laughs) You know, it's nothing like that. It's literally, it's like, is the parent expressive? Can they be with their emotions? That's felt in the room. Can I hold my infant while the the infant is crying or upset and be present for them?
2: Mm.
1: That's co-regulation. Oh, I'm learning. I, through someone else's ability to be grounded and present, And expressive, Mm. that I too can do that. And that leads to self regulation. Mm. If I never get the opportunity to co regulate, I never get the opportunity to learn self regulation. And that looks like an inability to regulate my energy, Mm. my emotional expression, and my attention. And those are the exact ingredients that I talked about as part of an addiction to drama, the symptoms of an addiction to drama.
0: Yeah. So I suppose then like it is kind of a common origin story, but maybe it's just manifests differently for different people. Most of the people that I work with uh, lean towards more anxious attachment patterning. And I think there's certainly elements of, you know, this addiction or, or gravitating towards drama in a lot of those behaviors. Um, but yeah. it's interesting to observe that and to also observe that as you describe at the heart of addiction to drama is avoiding our own stuff avoiding that you know emptiness or the bigness of that void inside of us and I think that again it's something that I point out to people that emotionality or or loud and big emotions is not the same as vulnerability and I think that oftentimes there can be a misunderstanding around that people thinking yeah I'm good at vulnerability because of how emotional I am Uh, but I think when our emotions are coming out in whether it's a performative way or a way that is a distraction or is some sort of avoidance from the tenderness that sits underneath it. I think yeah. we, again, have to get a little curious about what's really going on for us there.
1: Yeah, when the emotion is disproportionate to the experience, yeah. and that's and that's a little tricky. That is tricky to navigate, what disproportionate means. Mm. But if the emotion is a dip, what I call a secondary emotion, which is a place where all emotions sad, happy, whatever, get deposited in to become rage. Like Mm. if I don't have a big emotional landscape and I feel a little disappointed and it becomes rage and I feel a little joyful and it becomes gleeful, you know, and those are my only two emotions and it feels Mm. very polar and extreme. It's like Mm. every subtle nuanced emotion and there are hundreds of them get deposited in these major Uh, emotional containers or depositories. Mm. They're called secondary emotions. And if those emotions that I'm experiencing are primarily based on revving myself up from the past or the future, as opposed to what's actually happening in the present moment, it also seems performative. Mm. So just because you have big emotions does not mean you are in contact with your emotional truth. You might be just relating and, and replaying stories from the past or projections of the future to get yourself to that emotional high to mm-hmm. which you feel something with. So again, mm-hmm. it takes you above that level of threshold and uh, the the level of numbness that's there and you feel alive. Great. And you feel like the the burst of catharsis, which ends up just actually leaving you into withdrawal symptoms from it. <laughs> like yeah. any addiction, it's right? It's the like the addiction. plunge. It, yeah, that yeah. dysregulated emotional expression is not actually metabolizing and processing it, because often in those big experiences, you're using the you're feeding off the emotion to rev yourself up more, as opposed to using the emotion to direct and guide you towards your needs and processing and metabolizing it once you've arrived at your needs. It's very different.
2: Mm.
0: And so f- for people who experience this, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure by this point in our conversation, a lot of people are nodding and and sheepishly <laughs> raising their hand.
2: oh <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> Tick. Uh, so I guess the question then becomes, and again, I hear this a lot from people, it's like, I'm not attracted to healthy, you know, quote, unquote, stable, healthy people. When I date someone who seems really reliable and available and kind and mm-hmm. caring I don't feel the same spark uh, as mm-hmm. I do with that person over there who you know, doesn't text me for two weeks but then shows up and I get the, the oh, rush and yeah. the hit and the spark. So what do I do?
1: Um, well, first, let's, let's name the spark for what it is. It's called a trauma <laughs> single. okay? It is red flag couture, my loves. It uh-huh. is not attraction. It is the mistake of what intensity is misplaced for intimacy you are chasing your red flags in that moment when you are following the magnetism of your trauma tingles okay i love trauma
0: tingles as a term i love it feels so visceral
1: it's so visceral and it's and it's true and there is a yeah. big difference of when you have healed and you can find the nuances and the flavors of love that do not feel escalated and intense and extreme and roller coastery mm. and when the attraction feels grounded in your body mm. it i promise you it will not feel as exciting sorry loves that's your trauma tingles if you need excitement go on a fucking roller coaster You know, like (laughs) maybe don't go chasing waterfalls of bad relationships to get it, you know. But it it takes, it's confusing because we often think, oh, that excitement of love. Mm -hmm. Oh, Yeah, that's your stress response. Mm -hmm. It takes a couple months to work your way into the groove of a relationship. And that's often when people are like, oh, now it's boring. No, now you are in the truth of relationship if you can make it there. The first couple of months are more stress-induced. They're exciting. Mm. Stress doesn't mean bad. It can also mean exciting, but it Mm. is an activated experience. Mm. It is a charged experience, and especially – if we're following our trauma tingles, it is like there's a part of us that says, yay, we're back in the familiar. Yay, mm-hmm. this feels like home. Home is great, you know. And yeah. so, it, it's, it, it can be challenging because we're listening to these signals, so to speak, in our body. These signals that say like, ooh, there's just such deep attraction. Hmm. And we have to learn to discern the difference between a trauma tingle and a present, grounded, anchored, bi-directional sense of flow that does include some nervousness and some vulnerability and mm. some, you know, topsy-turvy feelings as well. But also, you don't lose yourself.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. And I I think discernment is what emerges from that as like the thing that we so want to be able to cultivate. Because I think a lot of people hear that and they go, oh, chemistry bad, spark bad. Does that mean as soon as I feel excited about someone, I need to like red flag myself the hell out of there? And we can get a (laughs) bit extreme and not trusting of our (laughs) own judgment because we know we've got a pattern. And so we're like, so suspicious of our own feelings that we're like, oh, no, red flags, go. Is it a red flag if I really like someone? It's like, okay, maybe just back it up Stop crisis hopping.
1: (laughs) Stop crisis hopping. That's your addiction to drama. It's not – it takes some nuance. It takes some experimenting, and you won't know. And you don't have to go to the polar opposite of, like, going to a nunnery because you have (laughs) traced your trauma tingles before. Yeah. It it just takes a good coach or therapist to help guide you into the clarity and discernment of it.
0: Yeah. It's that hanging out in that messy place of of finding our way is really hard for people who want to believe that there's, you know, a black and white three-step formula way to know.
1: No, I I was in a relationship this summer. I repeated the same pattern I've done a million times. They literally said they're not available. And I was like, that's okay. I'm here for you. I, they, we literally had that exchange. And like, you know, I'm so grateful for it because, you know, like, you know, in this 40th time of repeating this pattern as an adult this year. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm like, wait, it's May.
1: It's May. And I have repeated it. No. <laughs> but it, it opened up a whole new access point to healing for me to have repeated mm. it. And I'm so grateful I repeated it. And I, mm. you know, like I've gotten on dates with people since and I was like, Oh, my trauma tingles aren't here. Yeah. This, this pattern that they're doing doesn't seem sexy anymore. Oh, they're, they're not available. That's mm. weird. I don't feel turned on. Well, Am I just, yeah. am I too old to feel turned on now? No. <laughs> I have worked it out where I'm like, oh, it just doesn't, it's just not doesn't, attractive anymore. And mm-hmm. that feels like such freedom. Yeah. Where I'm like, uh, I've just got up and walked out of a date. I'm like, yeah, um, you're great. And it's, um I just need someone who's more emotionally available. And you actually haven't asked me a single question about me. So I'm giving you some information about me now by leaving.
2: Bye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you must have felt so on top of the world walking out of there. I I can imagine. I followed up with
1: them and I was like, hey, I just want to make sure you understood where I'm coming from and like not to leave you hanging. But like that was my boundary. Like it doesn't work for me. And I'm sure – you will either read a good book called Addicted to Drama or find <laughs> whoever Send them a you need signed copy. You need. <laughs> and here's my signed copy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is – Like that's the way it can go, right, when we take responsibility rather than going. I think the old way would be, why didn't they ask me any questions about me? Why would that? What does it mean? What is that?
1: Oh, yeah. I would take it I'm not interesting enough or like, yeah. 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 All the internal scripts. Yeah. You know, those internal scripts are like glue to the pattern. They help just seal it in. And like as you remove the pattern and the trauma tingles no longer are feel enticing the scripts also just begin to drip away it's like oh they didn't ask yeah. me any questions i i it's they don't know how yeah. or they weren't interested and that's also yeah. okay they don't have to be yeah. interested in me but at yeah. least i'm clear that that's not what i want Yeah, yeah
0: yeah i think that when we notice ourselves going into that detective mode and trying to analyze someone and make their behavior make sense or find some sort of way to reverse engineer the outcome that we want or we, oh, like, are they, is it that they are avoidant or they have this type of trauma and maybe like that's also I should try this strategy to get through to them and this is how I'll make them feel safe so that they open up. It's just like, can I take all of that as feedback about what's going on for me rather than meaning anything about them like can I deal with that first and foremost
1: yeah and if any of those scripts are happening that's not relationship (laughs) that is not the foundation for a healthy secure relationship right there yeah so if you find yourself in it you got a little work to do and that's cool Welcome to the club of we're getting our shit <laughs> together whenever we're getting our shit together. And, yeah. you know, if it's you're making it all about them, guess what? You got some work to do as well. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. We yeah. We are an emergent experience as humans. We are never complete. Mm. So get comfortable with where you are in your emergent healing journey mm. and just rock it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so... What would you say then, when we notice that tendency in ourselves, is there a way that we can, you know, rather than going into that urge of retreating and going into those extremes of, oh, I just have to like isolate myself and do all of my healing in a very serious way until I'm healed enough to go and do this. What are some kind of tangible in-between steps as we like walk the path so that we can still exist in the world while acknowledging that we have some work to do?
1: Yeah, well, here's another bullshit comment like that, um, which is that I I have to love myself before I can be loved. Some yes, bullshit. What, I've said that before. That's <laughs> bullshit. When you were a baby, you did not fucking love yourself.
2: Yeah. You
1: didn't yeah. love yourself. You didn't even know you existed really yet. You didn't have yeah. all the, the systems in place. Yeah. So find people that know how to love, mm. friends, therapists, mm. you know, people who are co-regulating, you know, professionals and and hang out with them and just be like, what's this like? Mm-hmm. What's this like to be in an environment, an ecosystem, in a room where someone is present and available? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's scary for me. Whatever yeah. it is. That's the experiment. Is it does not have it can be with a significant other, but that it gets complex and messy sometimes when we're trying to do that. So you don't have to go retreat, go to a nunnery. You don't have to like shut yourself off to the world. You don't have to stop dating, but do find the resources that are available of people who know how to be available and present with you. That Mm -hmm. is not the same thing as people who are enabling your addiction to drama. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about you're shit-talking so-and-so, and they did this, and they did that. And then that friend goes, oh, my gosh, and what happened next?
2: Mm.
1: That That is not someone who's actually been present with you. That is someone who's jumping into your bonfire of drama, someone you have pulled into your crisis through your mm-hmm. vortex of drama. Mm. Different. Very yeah. different. Mm. So find people who are sturdy, grounded, anchor, Put you know, like, Put a newspaper ad out there for that. I don't know. But, like, you know, a good looking for therapy. a sturdy
0: co regulator in my city. Looking for a sturdy
1: co regulator. Here's my <laughs> IG information. You know, like uh, a really good embodied somatic coach yeah. has hopefully done that work for themselves so that yeah. they can be available for you. And you use that as a petri dish to rewire. And that's mm. so important. And then you can keep dating at the same time, but does it feel like when you're with that person that you've hired from the newspaper or a therapist or a coach or whatever, when you have built the place where it feels safe, Mm. to feel safe, I'm going to say that again. When you have built the place where it feels safe to be safe in Mm. those conditions, then you are ready to find that And use that as a beacon to be in relationship with other people who can Mm. offer you that and Mm. where you can offer them that.
0: Yeah, that's beautifully said. And I think that you're so right. Using like if we see relationship, intimate relationship, particularly when we've got all of those old patterns that we know are not working for us, we see that as kind of top rung of the ladder up there with maybe like family systems. It's like can I take some in-between steps that aren't going to be so – heavy on my system that aren't going to go yeah. straight to those buttons and, and push them frantically because it's so familiar. There's yeah. so much muscle memory around it. It's like, I just go straight there before I even realize it. Can yeah. I take those in between steps with safe people and, and build up the capacity in a way that feels a bit more contained rather than yeah. throwing myself into the lion's den and, and just trying to figure it out on the fly and then being exasperated and deflated when I wind up. Right back yeah. where I started.
1: Yeah. It's funny you say the Lion's Den. That's my last name. And my family had on the garage door, it said Lion's Den. And that Lion's <laughs> Den was a long lineage of drama addicts <laughs> gathering in that home. So it, it, it holds special meaning Quite apt. to me. Quite apt. And I love that you said, that, you know, like that the hierarchy of the, of like yeah. even to get to the place where you can trial this these skill set you're learning with a family system and i'm i'm laughing at that because it's like to me that's the ultimate like a, a you know place of the ultimate adventure course
0: yeah of, that's of, the arena
1: that's the <laughs> that is the arena with the gladiators yeah. right there if you can get through a family holiday yeah period
0: <laughs> yeah
1: without without it you know without the drama
0: Yeah, yeah, my therapist is is, my therapist says, like, your family created the buttons, they know how to push them. Like, Mm. like, yeah,
1: yeah, and they're operating on an older version of you, not the healed version of you, yeah, because they haven't healed to ascend to the same level, yeah, so they are working with their familiars, which is Mm. challenging. So you're going in with all your new tools and you're like, fuck, I've I've done all this work. I am amazing. I even have a successful relationship now. And I'm going to go practice that in my family Christmas party. And then you get there and like, there's things that are thrown and doors that are slammed and food fights and, you know, suitcases that are packed five days earlier than they should have been and like, you know, whatever the chaos exists in that. And you're like, wait. But I did all this work. I paid all this money.
2: <laughs> Why didn't it work? Yeah.
1: And I, and so I just want to normalize. It's In those cases, it is about them.
2: <laughs> it's yeah. not you. Yeah.
0: So I guess then that leads to uh, one <laughs> other limb of all of this, which is if you are maybe not the drama addict yourself or you have yeah. done work around it, how can you be in proximity to or in relationship with other people who maybe haven't done that work in a way that feels boundaryed and where you are
2: um,
1: yeah.
0: taking care of yourself in that space without going to extremes of, you know, cutting people off or, or you know, again, <laughs> going to that thing of like I can't be in relationship with you at all, which, you know, in yeah. some circumstances might be the last resort. That might be the right thing, but I think there's a lot of in-between space, so how can we safely be yeah around people who maybe are still in that
1: mode. Yeah. Well, first you got to take care of you, which is, you know, like their drama is contagious. And I don't I'm not just saying that metaphorically. I'm saying that from as a neurophysiologist. Like their stress response stimulates your stress response. And part of their mechanism for feeling safe, quote unquote, safe in relationship is pulling you into their drama vortex, pulling you into the crisis. Mm. into the hurricane the tornado that they create. Mm. And that is ungrounding, that is dysregulating to you. You know, so you need to spend a lot of time building up the capacity to be anchored in yourself, aware mm. of your own emotions. When they start to pull you or a mesh, you're able to f- use different tools to say, I'm not participating in this. That means things like I'm not enabling them. Mm. I'm not going to say things like, oh, and then what did they say? How could they? How dare you? It's like, that sounds really difficult.
2: Mm.
1: Sounds like you had an aspect of your day that was really hard. Notice I took the overgeneralized language <laughs> and made it specific. Yeah. In that moment. Ah, I had the worst day ever. Tell me about your worst day ever. Like what mm. What were some of the components of your worst day? Was what? Can you also tell me about some of the things that worked for you today? or that were decent. Mm. Oh, so I hear you had some decent aspects of your day and some hard parts.
2: Mm.
1: Sounds like a really mixed bag in that way. Mm. I mean, look, I'm a therapist. That's, how <laughs> it. it's, 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 you know, but those are boundaried language yeah. tools. Somewhat like, I know my aunt's coming over and she loves to gossip and she loves to just go in the, the realm of drama. She loves to talk about her shows and what's on the news. And it's, ugh, you know,
0: yeah. Catastrophe don't. left left, right, and center.
1: It's the catastrophe <laughs> games. And I don't I'm not interested in participating. Like yeah. that is boring to me. And mm-hmm. for me, just you know, side note, for me to say it's boring, whew, that's been a lot of work to get there.
0: I was going to say, that's that's a sign, right? It's like, oh, yeah. thank God it's boring to me.
1: <laughs> thank God it's boring.
0: Hallelujah.
2: Hallelujah. Um, I'm
1: just like, you know, when I see drama play out, I just sort of giggle at this point. I'm like, yay, I see you. I see yeah. you. It's all good. But, yeah. you know, like I will say, hey, I have 15 minutes for you. Or if you want to talk about what's happening in your life, we're going to go on a walk. So I'm not stuck in a space with you with limited space. Mm. I might say, oh, I'm happy to listen, but we got to play foosball while we talk. <laughs> or some Break type of up. activity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or I'm happy to listen to the challenges of your day. I also, for my own preservation, need to hear some things that are not challenges.
2: Mm.
1: Or I also need us to talk about some things that are positive in the world if you're just going to talk and catastrophize the news. Mm. Things yeah. like that of setting boundaries.
0: It sounds like one of the aspects of that that might feel challenging for people is that, particularly in a family system, when belonging to the system has meant participating in the drama, we will have to come face to face with the fears around languages. not belonging. Yeah. yeah and and going belonging. like, oh, okay, there might be consequences of this. And I might mm-hmm. just have to prioritize my well being yeah. uh, above. Yeah. You know, I, I suppose recognizing what it costs me to yeah. belong in a system that is addicted to drama and chaos.
1: Look, you will lose people. Mm. That, that is the existential real thing of life. You will mm. lose people as you heal. Mm. People will not be able to use you to drama bond in the same way. Mm. So you become unavailable for them. Mm. Sorry not sorry that's for your yeah. own health. And, you know, loss is real. I, I acknowledge that they also meant something to you if that's the case. And mm. they may come back yeah. after they do their own healing too. Mm. Or they yeah. may not. And that, you know, friends come and go. And, and it's, you know, it, it is a real aspect of life. Like how many of your high school friends do you still talk to? Yeah. (laughs) Like how many of your elementary school friends do you still talk to? Yeah. You know, I I just want to kind of normalize because the other piece I didn't say is you can walk away. Mm. If you have tried all of these other strategies and they're really laid out in the book for you as well. If you know someone addicted to drama and, and how to take care of yourself, if you have tried all these other strategies and there's, it's a no win situation, you're locked in to their crisis, no matter what you do, walk away. Mm. It's okay. You are entitled and allowed to take care of yourself first. Just like on an airplane, you put the oxygen over your mouth first. Yeah. And that might mean walking away. Yeah. And look, I'm saying that having known people who have walked away from me.
2: Mm.
1: In the long run, I'm glad they did. Mm. I'm... First of all, they were enabling me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm glad they did. I'm glad they took care of themselves because I yeah. was, it, it was also a wake-up call to me. Mm. You know, at a certain point after enough people are like, I'm like, why aren't they texting me and asking me to go out with them every Friday night? Like, mm. I I did recognize there was something I was doing that maybe was not, Um, giving them the peace that they deserve in their Mm. life
0: yeah it goes back to that common denominator point that we started with right yeah being an invitation to look in the mirror and get a bit curious and honest
1: yeah oof that mirror is hard
0: it is absolutely it's so much easier (laughs) to blame everyone else
1: (laughs) so much easier oh my gosh I, i wish i i wish i had the naivete to still do that (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 although i think as we've said there is something really ultimately empowering and liberating yeah. about getting into the driver's seat and i suppose recognizing that we are responsible and capable of mm-hmm. taking care of ourselves and mm-hmm. owning our part and deciding who we're going to be in relationship to others and how we're going to be that's yeah you know, realizing that that is actually within our control in large part is yeah. very, very empowering when we have gone through life feeling like all of that is not within our control.
1: Absolutely. Well said.
0: Mm. Scott, thank you so much. This has been such a great chat and I'm sure it's going to be hugely valuable to everyone listening. So thank you so much for being here. We will link all of your work and your book and everything in the show notes. Uh, where can people find you if they want to, you know, come into yeah. your world and work with you
1: um i am uh you can go to dr scott lyons so dr dot com it has some quizzes that are fun you know like short little quizzes are you addicted to drama do you know someone addicted to drama um mm-hmm. it has information about my book has um links to all my trainings on the embody lab uh, mm-hmm. somatic therapy uh, the somatic therapy platform
0: which um, I should interrupt I'd- and say I've taken several programs through the Embody Lab and I highly, highly recommend it. So if anyone is um, kind of working in this space and wants to learn more about this, I couldn't recommend those programs more highly. Thank
1: you. Yeah, that platform is my baby and I'm pride is not something I had experienced for most of my life. It was not something mm-hmm. I allowed myself to feel because I wasn't feeling much <laughs> besides extremes. But I, I really feel proud of what the Embody Lab has done in the world. Yeah. I'm really grateful. Yes, it's, you should. It's, it's making its impact.
0: Yeah, it's um, really one of a kind.
1: Thank you. So yeah, mm. the Embody Lab, uh, DrScottLines.com. I'm on Instagram. I have a, a very fun, spicy podcast called The Gently Used Human Lovely. that launched today. Oh, and- <laughs> well-timed. <laughs> well-timed. Cool. And, um, yeah, and other than that I'm, you know, just writing books and, <laughs> so, you know. Healing. <laughs> healing. I'm just rocking my own addiction to drama.
0: <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much, Scott. We'll put all of that in the show notes for anyone cool. who wants to check out Scott's work, which I can highly recommend. Um, but otherwise, thanks so much for being here.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at Rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here and I hope to see you again soon.